Please take your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 13, the very last chapter in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be reading uh, beginning at uh, verse 7, and we'll read through verse 19. So if you're able, I would ask you please to stand together with me as we read from God's Word. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the Word of God to you. Consider the outcome of, the way, of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at, at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, uh, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. Uh, we're sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Father's Day was uh, not too long ago. It was June, right? Around the middle of June. Um, and my children, being good children that they are, sent me Father's Day wishes and Father's Day gifts. Now, <clears throat> my wife tells me that I have enough fly rods. I don't need any more fly rods. But I got a new fly rod for Father's Day. And a new fly reel to go with it, too. I didn't need it. I really didn't, I don't guess. I've got several apart from that. But you know what? I got a new favorite one. <laughs> Absolutely, it is by far my favorite uh, fly rod. And uh, it, you know, if you go fishing with me, I'll let you use any one of the others, but this one is mine, okay? It's just mine. When, uh, when, when we give gifts, um, we, we often think about 
someone we're trying need to give gifts to, maybe Christmas, birthday, Father's Day, whatever, Mother's Day, and we think, what do they? What can I give them that they need? I got to give them something. I got to give them something that they really want and they'll enjoy and that they'll love. You know, what can I give them? And it's almost like if I don't give them something really good, I'm not sure they're going to appreciate me. Right? I got to give them the the best that is that is available for me to give. I don't know if they'll like me. And it's almost like we're trying to buy them or, or bribe them in order to like us some way with a gift that we might give. Well, my children, I love no matter what. I love them so very much and, and there's nothing that they can give me that's gonna make me love them more. But when they give me something is very special to me. Not because of the gift itself, but because of who gave it and why they gave it. It becomes so very special to me. Here in the last chapter of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is telling us the things that we ought to do as Christians. Now, he's not telling us that these things that we ought to do, these duties that we have as Christians, are things that are going to make God love us more. But he does tell us that these are things which please God. And if we do it in such a way that we, we're faltering and, and it's just not that, that great of the way that we might do it or what we might, uh, how we might present it to him, he doesn't need it from us. But when he gets it with the right attitude, how does that make him feel? It's pretty good. And so this morning, um, as, as we look at this, we're, we're told that we're to bring uh, uh, sacrifices uh, to God which, which please Him. And I think each one of these things that we, we read about here, when we do them, these are things that please God. And so these are, in a sense, some almost ecclesiastical duties, duties that things that we're supposed to do as Christians, not to make Him love us more, but to bring pleasure to him because of why we're doing it and how we do it. And they become quite special to him when we do it. And so this morning I want us to look. Um, I, I, there's an outline in your bulletin. Um, five different things that I want us to notice in this passage that uh, we're told to do. Things that we're to bring to God uh, almost like a sacrifice. Things that will please him. Not in any way to earn his love but please him because we're doing it for him because he is our heavenly father and the love that he's shown for us and we're returning to him. So let's look at these things. Uh, first of all, first thing I want you to notice is found right off the bat there in verse 7. Remember your leaders. Remember your leaders. Now there's uh, other places in this passage where he talks about leaders um, and we're going to get to that when we get down uh, in verse 17, um, and, but he's talking about leaders there as leaders that you currently have. Here I think he's talking about leaders who had gone before. They've probably died. They have lived the, uh, fought the good faith, lived the good life. They've passed on and gone on to be with the Lord. So he says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. These are the ones who first presented you with the gospel. Uh, and I want you to remember them. Now, you remember who they were. They, 
They have died and they've gone on to be with the Lord. Remember their faith. Remember their way of life as a result of it. And you are to imitate their faith. What did, what did they do? They presented the gospel to you. They continued to live. In the midst of persecution, they continued to live um, faithful to the Lord Jesus. He says, this is what you are to imitate. Now, when he is telling them about this, he's telling them not to look at this person and think that this person is the one that we ought to idolize and to go after and to say, I want my life uh, to be just like him because of him. Immediately, he reminds us why we are to imitate their faith. He says in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, these leaders that you had who introduced you to Christ, they have gone on, right? But the faith that they had is the same faith that you're to have. You're to continue to look to Jesus. He continues on. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you've got a Bible with cross-references, you can look there in verse 8, and, and it'll probably have a cross-reference to Psalm uh, 102. And there it's talking about the, uh, the fact that, that God himself is forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. doesn't use that exact same language. But he's, that's what he's referencing. Here we're talking about Jesus. And he's referencing an Old Testament passage talking about God. Well, Jesus is God, right? And just another showing of his uh, deity here. And he says, uh, you know, you look at their faith. Remember that they believed in, the same, in, in this one who was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Interesting passage here uh, from William Barclay in his commentary on this passage. He says the real leader of the church preaches Christ and thereby, and thereby brings men to him. Leslie Weatherhead somewhere tells of a public school boy who decided to enter the ministry. He was asked when he had come to that decision and he said it was after hearing a certain sermon in his school chapel. He was asked the name of the preacher and his answer was that he had no memory of the preacher's name. All he knew was that he had shown him Jesus. The duty of the real preacher is to obliterate himself and to show men nothing but Christ. Isn't this what Paul was hoping for as he wrote to the uh, Corinthians when he said, I'm determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul wanted people to, to see Christ. And as we look at those who have gone before uh, our leaders of the past, did they show us Christ? If we forget their names, that's one thing, but if we remember the Christ that they've shown us, that's a wonderful thing. And he's saying, remember their faith. They trusted in Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you're to continue to have that same faith. In the midst of their persecutions, they lived a life continuing to walk in faith. In the midst of your trials and heartaches and, and, and difficulties in this life, you are to continue trusting in the Lord and keeping your faith in Him. Well, he goes on, remember your leaders. Remember that they turned you to Christ. And Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change and so the message about him shouldn't change uh, either. And so he goes on in verse 9. 
with the second thing that we're to think about here and 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 living our lives in such a way to please God do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings uh, there were strange teachings going on uh, in those days um, he's certainly wanting them not to turn back to their old way and he would say that's some strange teaching these sacrifices and everything I don't know if he had in mind what Paul wrote to the uh, Galatians about, but he certainly could have. Paul was in Galatia and he taught them about the gospel and salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and the work of Christ alone. It's not by your works at all. Well, some Judaizers came in there after him and said, well, Paul, you know, he's, he's kind of a, a junior apostle and yes, we have to trust in Christ and you have to rely on his, his grace and put your faith in him. But Paul got this other part wrong. You have to contribute your part to it as well. And Paul at this point says, if anyone, even if it's an angel from heaven or if I come back and teach you a different gospel than I'm already taught you, let him be eternally condemned. <laughs> I think the author of Hebrews is, is coming in here and he's saying, you know what, there's some strange teachings out there. There's these teachings that you need to trust in something other than Christ alone. You're not to be swayed by that. You're not to be carried away by that because indeed that will carry you away. Salvation is in Christ alone through the work that he's done for us alone. And God gives it to us by grace alone and we receive it by faith alone. There are some out there who are within churches who would teach strange doctrines. Certainly, I, I would see the prosperity gospel that your life is the best it can be right now. You're, you can have your best life right now. And that this is what it's really all about and all the material blessings you get in this life. And if you're not experiencing all the material and physical and, and emotional blessings in this life then you're missing the boat, really. Well, that's, that's not what he says. He, even here, in a little while, he's going to talk to us uh, once again in verse 14 that we're looking for a different city, a city that is yet to come. He's, this is the same city that Abraham was looking for. Even though he, he, he died not having received the things promised, he still died in faith that those things were to come because he was looking for a different city with different fulfillments. That's our best life. That's, that's still to come. That's a, that's a strange teaching that will carry us away from the truth. There are others out there in the church. There's a, a view that's called the open theism. I've talked about it before, but you may not remember it. The open theism says that uh, uh, as, as God's knowledge, uh, has, he has knowledge of everything that's ever happened in the past. He knows everything that's going on right now, but he doesn't know the future because the future hasn't happened yet. And therefore, God cannot know it. It's called open theism. It changes the whole idea of God's knowledge, doesn't it? It change, begins to change much more about God as well. It begins to change his sovereignty. It makes man sovereign over God instead of God. And then there's also in some churches um, today what's called a new perspective on Paul. The new perspective on Paul um, kind of goes back to what Paul was dealing with in Galatians. But 
does the absent, uh, the the uh, opposite of what Paul tells us is necessary in Galatians. A new perspective on Paul is really a new perspective on justification, and saying that justification is not only uh, God's work and God's declaration for us, but it is a, a synergistic work. It's a, it's a work in which we cooperate with God. And so it is, uh, in a sense, our works and God's work. New perspective on Paul is a strange new teaching that is contrary to the teaching of the New Testament. And we're to avoid it. Uh, at all costs. We see that these things come up in the church. Satan has different ways in which he uh, attacks the church. Uh, certainly there's persecution from without. The people uh, that, that the author of Hebrews is writing to, they're seeing this persecution. Um, there's persecution from without. We see it around the world today. The church in many places, the, the uh, believers are, are persecuted much more severely than we are here in America. Uh, many are being beaten. If they go to church this morning, they may have uh, government authorities come in and, and drag them out and beat them and burn their church to the, to the ground. These kinds of things are happening around the world. But it's an interesting thing that as we see that, it doesn't stop the church. In fact, the more these types of things happen, the greater the church grows. Someone has famously said that the, that the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. And it seems the more the church is persecuted, and where the church is persecuted most is where it's growing in leaps and bounds. In America, where we have it so easy, it's not growing nearly as much as in other places. But if Satan cannot work to pull you away by... Uh, outside persecution, he works by deceiving you from inside. That's what the author of Hebrews is warning them about. Don't be, don't be uh, carried away by strange teachings. The, the strange teachings that Paul was addressing in Galatians, which we've already mentioned. The strange teachings that he, he uh, comes to the, um, in, in, in Ephesus, comes to the elders in Ephesus and says, you know what, when I leave you, some are going to come in who are going to be wolves. They're wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're going to seek to devour you. Don't, don't be carried away by these strange teachings. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the teaching of the truth of him doesn't change with uh, the, the changes in, uh, in our culture, our society. The teaching on Christ is the same. And we're always saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the work of Christ alone. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Don't be carried away by any strange teachings and uh, practices that they may have in that. Well, he goes on. In verses 11 through 16, we're, uh, we're encouraged to uh, strive for holiness. Um, we read, The high priest carries the blood of, of the animals in the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the gate uh, to make uh, the people holy through his own blood. Now, if uh, we're believers in Christ, his blood has been shed on us, we are holy. We have been set apart by, by Christ um, and by his, his uh, death for us. 
And so um, we're already holy. And so the author of Hebrews is, in a sense, telling us, live out what you are. You are this way. Now live like it. Um, that is what we're to do. If you are already holy, you are to live like it. There's some things he tells us here. Um, verse uh, 15, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. What is a sacrifice of praise? The fruit of our lips. We come confessing him and, and rejoicing in him, confessing his name. And that's what we do every Sunday morning when we come together here. We come to offer him a sacrifice of praise. Uh, we come to uh, uh, rejoice and confess his name together. And then there's uh, other aspects of this holy living. Verse 16, do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Uh, to do good to others, um, that's a part of our holiness. That's what we're to do. That's what we're to be about, especially in a land where we're told to think about ourselves first and foremost. i got to live for me. Um, the most important thing in, in, in so many churches is your own uh, ego, your, your own self-worth. You've got to recognize that God loves you and therefore you should love yourself and this is the most important thing. That's, that's not the case here. You're saying we're, we need to be living for others and sacrificing for others. That might mean uh, giving our time to others, giving our money to others to help those in need. That's what... He is encouraging us to do, to live different than the rest of the world. Strive for the holiness that, that God has already given us in Christ Jesus. Sacrifice is something that uh, it, it, it truly costs us something. Sacrifice is not always easy, but we need to be sacrificing uh, for others and giving sacrifices of praise to the Lord. Okay, fourthly, we see in verse 17, he says here, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Here the leaders are obviously um, alive at this time of his writing. There are leaders in the church, the officers of the church, the elders of the church. He's saying submit to them, submit to their authority. Where have they received this authority? Well, Jesus himself gave it to them. And he says, you know what, you are my under-shepherds. I'm the good shepherd, you're the under-shepherds. And you need to watch over your flock, lead them, guide them, direct them in the ways that they should go. And this passage is not a passage directed at the elders. It is directed at the congregation. It says, submit to your leaders, uh, obey your leaders, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Elders must give an account to God for how well they oversee their flocks. It's a difficult thing knowing that God has presented us with this task. And he said, you need to obey them and submit to their authority because they've got to give an account to God for you. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden or that would be of no advantage to you. One of the most difficult things that an elder uh, ever has to do is church discipline. 
or discipline someone who's, who's stepped out of line. It is one of the things that is just most difficult to confront somebody with their sin and to tell them that that is not right. And if they do not repent to go on with the next step and the next step until it ends in excommunication of the church where we would declare on the authority that Jesus himself has given to us, the, the authority that the keys to the kingdom of God are given to you, they're given to, to the church, they're given to the elders, and if the elders must come to the point where they would have to discipline someone to the point of, of, of excommunicating them, it is one of the, the most difficult things that an elder will ever have to do. And they should never do it without tears in their eyes. And I don't think I've ever seen it done without elders actually shedding tears. It is a difficult thing. And here the author of Hebrews is telling the congregation that you are to, you are to obey them and submit to them. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. Or that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, discipline is... When it has to be that type of discipline is a great burden. We need to remember the uh, vows that we took as members to become members of the church. They're on the back of your bulletin here. We don't want you to forget. They're here every Sunday. Hopefully, occasionally you look there and, and, and you try to remember the vows that you've taken as a member here. As you, you look at that, you say, how, how well am I following that? Am I being a burden to, my, to the elders here, the leaders here, because I'm not fulfilling what I promised God and this church that I would do? <laughs> we are to obey the leaders, the current leaders that are there right now, so that their work may be a joy and not a burden. That's no advantage to you. He goes on, finally, in verse 18, not only are we to uh, obey and submit to, to the authority that God has put over us uh, in the church, we are to be praying uh, for your leaders. The author says, pray for us. As one of their leaders, pray for us. We're sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. Sounds like he's asking, pray that God would help me to continue to live honorably. It's, it's, it's the, the work of the Holy Spirit in me and guiding me. One of the biggest joys I have here is on Wednesday nights when we, we gather over here. It's a small group. I wish it was larger, but it is a small group. But we pray. We, we spend a significant amount of time offering prayer requests. And then when we pray, and anyone who wants to pray has an opportunity to pray out loud and to hear the individuals. And I would have to say that every individual in the last three or four, three or four Wednesday nights that we prayed, every one of them has prayed for me. Pray that God would be pleased to use me. Pray that God would keep me on the straight and narrow. Pray that... Um, that, that I would be encouraged and, and strengthened, that I might deliver his word to his people the way that I should. That I might live honorably. That I might grow in him. Are you praying for me? Are you praying for the other officers of this church? Are you praying for the one who you know is, is a, the elder of uh, uh, your particular elder? Each elder has been given individual flocks. Are you praying for him? The author of Hebrews 
says, pray for me. Paul, the Apostle Paul, one you would think, well, he's got it all together, but he's always saying, pray for me. Pray that I'll remain firm. Pray that I'll, that I'll, I'll be steadfast in the midst of all the difficulties in my life. Pray for me. The author of Hebrews goes on, verse 19, I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. There are personal issues here. I, I don't know what his circumstance was, why he wasn't there with the people, why he needed to be restored, but they did. He says, pray about that. He may have been in prison for all we know. Uh, he, he could have had some sort of illness that prevented him from, from being there. We don't know, but he says, you know, and you pray, pray about that. Pray about the personal issues that are there for me too. Why do we do these things? We do these things so that God will be in our debt, right? So if we do these things, God's going to love us. No. No, not at all. But we do these things because in doing them, it's like giving to God not perfection, but we're giving it to him because we love him. How special is that to him? It is a sacrifice that pleases him. And so this morning as we look over these things, maybe as you look back over the outline in your bulletin, you review these passages and, and a lot of the wording and the outline is just comes straight from the text. And as you look at that and you go, all right, why should I do this? I do this to bring honor and glory and to please God. And by doing these things, there's nothing that could, could please him more. Well, let's pray.